All right, welcome to the third episode of Should You Read Before You Die. This episode is called Should You Read Paul Bowles' The Sheltering Sky Before You Die? And I am pleased to welcome my old friend, Alex Harlan. Alex and I met while working at Newton in New York around 2009, 2010. Newton is his own podcast of its own different genre, um, but he has gone on to have a distinguished career in educational technology, uh, working for great companies like Trilogy, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, Coursera, Scholastic, the New York Times Learning Network, and now he's the Director of Learning Engineering at 2U. Alex, well, Yeah, it's great to be here. I just gave some of your professional uh, uh, career background. How about telling us a little bit about your literary background? Uh, sure. So I am a lifelong reader of, of uh, both nonfiction and fiction, but I really love fiction, uh, postmodern fiction or sort of dark fiction is, is sort of my favorite. Uh, I, I, I've been passionate about literature my whole life, and um, I was, one of my proudest achievements in EdTech was actually supporting Wesleyan University in creating the creative writing specialization on Coursera, which has reached over 150,000 aspiring creative writers all over the world in every country. That's so awesome. I, I'm, yeah, it's been amazing. Um, I, I almost was a comparative literature major uh, in college, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually want to do the language requirement. <laughs> you needed to le- be able to yeah, read. Yeah, you have to be fluent in something, right? Something else. Exactly. But I, but I took a lot of uh, a lot of literature classes, and I've always thought of myself as a, a you know I've always read very deeply. But I, I am a perfect uh, audience for your podcast because I have, you really do tend to avoid some of those real tomes. I've I've never read Infinite Jest to my great sadness. Uh, I, I always wanted to read Magic Mountain to Tom, Thomas Mann. Even Anna Karenina, which everybody has told me is the most, the best book, uh, I've never actually sort of had the guts to sit down with it. It's like, you know, eight, eight, nine hundred pages long. So I'm really excited about your podcast and I'm definitely going to take your suggestions. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited about this one, having you, but also talking about The Sheltering Sky because it's a quote, quote, normal length, about 350 pages. If it were like a song, it would be the pop, three and a half minutes of pop for the, for the, <laughs> for the top 40 radio, right? But yet, it's amazing. Um, why don't you tell us, what is it, let's be clear, this was your idea, Alex. This, you, this book, we've had a list. Why did you pick it, and how did you come to it when you were a younger reader? Yeah, so you know, I read this book uh, right at the end of my college years, and I was, I was going through a, a, a phase at the time of really trying to sort of dive into some of the existentialist literature, some of the sort of dark you know, mid-century books. I would read, you know, The Stranger, uh, Sartre's Nausea, which I really stayed with me. It's a bizarre book. Um, Kafka or, you know, Darkness at Noon, Under the Volcano. Um, all these amazing books that sort of really delved into sort of the darkness of, of life in a very philosophical way, but in a way that wasn't actually depressing or too, too much of a downer, even though they're talking about very intense things. I've always loved that genre. And I heard about The Sheltering Sky while sort of looking at similar titles. And when I read it, it, it really blew my mind. Um, it was just the most intense sort of first person narrative of, of both travel and of sickness, of illness that I've ever read. And those sound like real downers, but it, they, they really weren't. It's a very sort of life affirming book, at least to me, but it gets into the it's just so it's so visceral in a way that I, I don't feel like I've, I've almost ever read anything before or since. So I really wanted to revisit that 
you know, many years later uh, and see if it still stood up. And it, boy, really, it stood up, I think, better than ever. I got more out of it this read than, than I even did then. Uh, and I was so happy to, to talk to you about it and to spread the word about this book. I think a lot of people don't, haven't read it. The only thing I disagree with what you just said is Under the Volcano is not happy at all. <laughs> it's brilliant, and people should read that one. I, I, I just actually just read it for the first time like this year. Um, it's fucking brilliant. It's like 300 pages of being very drunk and paranoid. Um, <laughs> I came to this book because in my late mid to late 20s, I was a big Christopher Hitchens groupie, and I read an interview or something, and he was saying in typical like hyperbolic fashion that Martin Amos was his only friend and that The Chilterings Guy was his only novel. So I read it. Um, and then, you know, 15 later, and I loved it. And 15 years looking back, I told myself in my mind, in my mind's eye, that the book is quote, a, a book, a, a novel about the dissolution of relationship in Morocco. That was my one liner. And I want to talk about that because it actually strangely happened to me, um, in my forties. Um, but when, when I reread parts of it, it, it's not really about that in my opinion, but why don't you, why don't you give the, the listeners like a, a brief plot synopsis of what's going on here? Uh, sure. So this is a, this is a book. It takes place right after World War II. This the book was written in 1949, and it's about three American young people. Um, they I don't know if their ages are exactly set, but you get the feeling they're sort of young, slightly wandering people who were just out of the war. Uh, the, the the men in the book were were soldiers. Uh, and they're well and, off, don't you think? They're yes, like, they're well <laughs> off. So one of them, you know, they they hint that he ha he uh, had a house has a house overlooking Central Park, and his father has recently died, so he's sort of inherited all this wealth, but he has no idea what to do with it. He's sort of very depressed and sort of wandering the world looking for meaning, and it's about um, him and his wife, who is sort of a paranoid. Uh, very, very strange character of her own, and a friend of theirs, a sort of third wheel friend who's this handsome, charming young man. So it's the three of them as Americans in Northern Africa. They, they, they go mostly through the Saharan Desert in Algeria. And it, what's so amazing about the book is, you know, it's when you start, it, it reads like it's going to be a sort of a travelogue, like one of these books about fish out of water, being in a, in a different, strange land. And you, do, you get a little bit of that in the book. But as you really get into it, it's really a book about these people and how they see the world. And they're, they're basically using the desert as this sort of metaphor for trying to figure out how to live in this bizarre post-war world. And it's a, it's, I think it's an existentialist novel that stands up to Sartre and Camus but it's written by a guy from Queens, you know, New York. It's 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 an American existentialist novel, and it it just it's it's really unusual and just filled with these beautiful, quotable, uh, you know, poetic lines about you know what is life about and death comes too fast and all of these sort of beautiful, almost like French sad existential uh, ideas. Um, but it, but with this sort of American optimistic undertone, it's such a fascinating, it's such an unusual book. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I look at it, it's kind of like in the spirit of the expat, plus Fitzgerald and Gertrude Stein and Hemingway, um, like 10, 15 years prior, 20 years prior, but darker. And, you know, uh, uh, Bowles himself was a, a world traveler. He himself spent years in Morocco. Um, he, uh, you know, was doing drugs there. I think that's not a secret. Um, um, so it's not, it's, it's almost of that spirit, but like darker time later in the century. Um, I want to grab a quote about tourism and traveling because it's early in the novel and 
Um, I'm just going to, this is in the book. Whereas a tourist generally hurries back home at the end of a few weeks or months, the traveler belonging no more to one place than to the next moves slowly over periods of years from one part of the earth to another. Indeed, Port would have found it, Port, the husband, would have found it difficult to tell among the many places he had lived precisely where it was, where he had felt most at home. And I love that. And as someone who likes to travel myself, I've often like rubbed my eyes like, where am I? I know yeah. recently I was in Scotland and I like went to a bus station and I just couldn't remember exactly where I was. I know it's a privileged thing to say, but it, it did happen. Um, and also, yes, you can, you can, a lot is revealed while, while you're traveling. Yeah, a lot is revealed about while you're traveling, about yourself, about you, about the world, about your relationships. And I, I think, you know, this book, so, so the main characters in this book, the, the main guy is named Port Moresby, which is a little bit of a sort of literary joke. That's the capital of Papua New Guinea. Port Moresby hmm. and his wife, Kit Moresby, and they have this friend, George Tunner, who's pretty, pretty obviously based on Bowles' friend, George Turner, who he traveled through Africa with. And, and what's so interesting about it is that Bowles himself was this inveterate traveler. He traveled all over the world. He met all of the sort of literary and musical greats. He was actually a composer as well as, more a composer as well as a writer. Um, and he, he, he met people all over the world. And then he decided to actually settle and stay in Tangier, Morocco. For, it, he, he settled there at about 37 and lived there his whole life. He lived there for 50 years. I didn't know that. I didn't know he stayed. He stayed. So he, it's, it's a, he's a very unusual character in that he really picked up. Again, he was from Queens. He was from New York. He was part of the literary scene. And then he picked up and moved there. And people would visit him. So Allen Ginsberg would come and visit him there. All these different interesting people would visit him. And they'd sort of use him as an excuse to go to Africa. Um, but he really took up there. He made all these friends. He became a very serious uh, sort of a marijuana aficionado in all these unusual ways in, in Northern Africa. So this book was written in his first year living in Morocco. So even, so he at the time probably saw himself like Port, a, you know, a traveler, a, a romantic world, world spanning person. But, um, but he loved Northern Africa so much that he actually settled there and lived his whole life there. Um, yeah. Researching this, I was often, wondering if they were in Algeria or Morocco. And then I believe this is true that at the time, like the colonialism hadn't carved it up yet. And it was kind of Northern Africa and it was called the Maghreb by the folks who lived there. Um, so it, it, was, it was, it's both, right? He, I think he himself lived in like what became Morocco, but the story kind of like literally crosses, crosses borders. Um, also interesting, like I went to Morocco with a partner two or three years ago and our relationship yeah. did dissolve as a result of the trip. And we had both read the story and it was kind of like a uh, life imitating fiction. Um, so also I like in this story, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, you know, anti hero story when it comes to travel in that it's kind of like, it's not going to be your sunny traveling book, right? You know, it's, it kind of reminds me of uh, Horrors for Gloria by William T. Volman, in which you go into a strange place. And in, in, in this case, George in Volman's case, like prostitution in, in uh, the Tenderloin in San Francisco, but you find beauty and, and, and honor and glory in, in, in the everyday. Absolutely. And I think what's, what's, What's interesting about how they do that in this book is that Port and Kit have exact opposite perspectives about traveling. So they're this couple have gone together and you learn early in the novel that Kit actually wanted to go to Europe. She wanted to go to Italy and France. She, did, she wasn't really interested in, in Northern Africa and this sort of adventurous trip. But 
Port had been there while he was in the army and he wanted to bring people there. And he's really interested in sort of, he's one of those travelers, you know, who wants to be off the beaten path and get the authentic experience. So already you sort of have this parallel that I think a lot of us feel about being, about traveling. You know, you often have one person who wants to go to the sort of dive and the local bar and the, the sort of hidden places and the other who's like, can we just, you know, can we just relax on the beach or like, can we just go shopping that kind of thing. So you have that, except it's enormously exaggerated because they're in Saharan Africa. It's like one of the most harshest places in the world uh, right after World War II where there's no tourism. So they're really just alone. They're, they're, go they're in a place with only French, uh, you know, colonial, you know, uh, governors and uh, Arabs and nobody, there's no tourists. There's no hotels really to speak of. They always stay in the one hotel in each town, which is falling apart. Every, the, the food is always described as horrible. It's not a romantic traveling trip, but Port wants it to be. And he's always wandering through the streets and seeing the beauty, like you say, seeing the beauty in the, in the, the lepers or seeing the beauty in the, in, the, in the poverty or the people, you know, just really struggling to get by. So he sees that and she doesn't see it at all. And then it just gets sort of darker and deeper from there because, um, because what they actually end up doing, they all get separated in various ways, which is mm -hmm. a horrible thing. And um, they, they meet this other touring group, this pair from Australia, this mother-son mother pair from Australia who are these very shady characters that sort of turn out to be criminals and maybe incestuous. It, you know, the, the details of the book are so dark you know there, there's there's disease horrible disease there's a lot of death and theft i, I want to talk about that I, I want yeah. to but but even so even through that it doesn't feel like the book is sort of this despairing look at the world it's like it's almost a almost like a farce it's like this culture clash between these philosophical sort of wandering upper class americans and the just reality of life in this in the saharan desert where it's all these sudanese and arabic travelers you know it, it's so interesting um i i just i i, I it, it really takes you to a completely different time and place yeah let's talk about the disease wait wait hold on hold on a couple a couple of points one yeah i i was in morocco in 2018 and yeah. i will say it's a fascinating place like uh, uh the medina which is the touristy part was perhaps ironically more foreign like more strange and more timeless and outside of that, it's just like a normal, really cool kind of Northern African city with like really fancy restaurants and like museums. And I went to a New Year's Eve party and there was like beautiful, like African people in like expensive suits. Like it was, it's a really fascinating place. And you can like enter into a building and it's tiny, then it's a grand ballroom. Like you have no freaking, freaking idea what's going on. It's, it's, and the food is now, is now wonderful. I also want to add that um, despite all how crazy the book is, the language is like so tight and classy. Oh. It's like having a glass of wine and cheese, you know, and sitting there and eating it. Like, it's really tight. It's really highbrow without being difficult or annoying or pretentious. It's just like, it's really highly stylized. Agreed. He's, he's, a, he's a phenomenal writer. And, I, you know, I, I was pulling quote after quote, uh, just you know, turning down all of these pages because there are so many beautiful quotes. I actually read a funny thing about quotes from this today. Um, the the uh, Brandon Lee, <laughs> Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee, before, right before he died, actually. R.I.P. R.I.P. to both of them. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he he had he has one a quote from this book on his tombstone because what? he was yeah because he was um he was going to use it 
I, I, yeah, see, he, he was he quoted it in an interview shortly before he, you know, tragically died. But they have these they have these beautiful quotes about life and death. Um, I can I, I can actually would would you mind if I just quickly read the quote that's on his tombstone? Because it's please, crazy. please. It's so, it's so strange. Uh, all right, let me grab it. Okay, it says. Death is always on the way, but the fact that you don't know when it will arrive seems to take away from the finiteness of life. It's that terrible precision that we hate so much. Because we don't know, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. Yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, some afternoon that's so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? Perhaps four or five times more, perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20, and yet it all seems limitless. That's amazing. And, yeah, and it's, it's a quote that, that Port in this book says to his wife, because he's this despairing existentialist, and um, and and it's it's I mean how beautiful is that? And didn't Brandon Lee die because he was on a movie set, The Crow, yeah. and and by accident the gun was loaded? I think that is I think that is the story. I, that's I, I don't crazy. Know. I, uh, we were younger, but that's crazy that it happened to him. Yeah, it really is crazy. Yeah. But so why don't you, why don't you tell yeah. listeners about this in this time in this time of plague of our own about how the notion of typhoid or the typhoid itself comes yeah. into the story? So, so you know, we, we we can talk about the book and how it is, you know, this all all of the about travel and about the this relationship, husband and wife relationship, which is really powerful and and based on reality. But the the far and away, the scene in this book that is just the most like mind blowing of all of them is this scene where Port, the the main character of the book, uh, the protagonist, the male protagonist basically starts getting ill. He, he, he's, he's walking along the desert one day and he sees a, a sort of um, man ill in the desert. He's, he's in the, a man in the desert with a sort of tattered rags around him. And as he walks by, he thinks, oh, I, that, I wonder if that person is sick and that's why they're all out here in the desert by themselves. He just sort of wanders that. He's very naive about this kind of thing. Then he starts feeling a little sick himself. He starts to say, maybe I have a cold, but feel a little achy. And they're all traveling at the time, so they, they're on these long buses. And, um, and he gets sicker and sicker until this incredible scene where they basically are, show up in a new city, the two, the two of them, this couple. And they, they, he's very sick at this point. He's starting to really hallucinate and sort of be faint. And they're looking for the hospital, and the hospital turns them away because there's a, an, a plague in the region, a meningitis plague. And so suddenly... This couple who, again, New York couple, very spoiled, not really, not really know how to handle this kind of situation, and this is not a tourist place, are alone in the middle of Africa, and he is very, very sick. And they go to the French, uh, I guess, colonial embassy, and he basically, there's about a 20-page scene where he's basically dying, and he's going, his mind is basically dissolving because of typhoid, and it's, it's supposed to be typhoid with peritonitis. But what's amazing about it is it's described mostly through his eyes. And, and of course, for Bowles to write this, Bowles had come down with typhoid himself when he was 21 in Africa, and he had survived it. But he was trying to describe what it's like to be 
deathly ill, deathly, deathly ill. And I mean, he talks about things like, you know, losing directions, like you, you, the directions start merging and you forget what up hmm. is or being in a lonely plane by yourself and being more alone and afraid than you've ever been and forgetting everyone in your life. Or, I mean, things that you just, you, you can almost never forget because it's literally somebody coming back from, from death's door. And, uh, and he's, he's lying there dying and the, the wife, I and mean, they have a very strained relationship. The wife is trying to support him, but she's very paranoid. She's, she has all her, these issues of her own. And they, at one point he sort of has a moment of clarity and they sort of finally see each other in his, basically on death, the grip, in the grip of death and have a, a sort of moment where he says, I've been living for you all these years <laughs> and now you're gone. And um, she's like, no, I'm not gone. I'm, I'm, I'm here. But she is gone. She's already cheating on him by that point. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and he, she actually is not in the room. She goes to meet the other man that they're traveling with. And he dies alone in the room. And again, described from his point of view um, in this desolate part of the desert of Africa. And, you know, I, I want to keep reiterating here that this sounds so depressing from the outside, but from, from, because it's described in this insanely poetic way, this beautiful prose, and really with, it's not, it's just not that dark. It's almost like getting a, getting somebody who just came back from death's door to describe exactly what it was like. And it's sort of beyond anything you'd imagine. And it, that, that stuck with me for, you know, 20 years since I read this book the first time and reading it again, it is just as powerful. It is un, it's unreal. I've just never seen anything like it in any, in any book. Um, basically, and in the, in the preface, the, the preface of the new version of the book, Bowles talks about how he really was committed to showing the, the effect, this disease from the inside. He, he said it was something he hadn't really seen and that it, what, you, people would watch people dying. And you think of all the scenes in movies we've seen where you watch, everybody's gathered around somebody dying in their deathbed. But yeah. this is from the perspective of the dying person. And it just is, it's almost hallucinatory and, and like a mushroom trip, um, but, but not a good one. It is so fascinating. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it makes you really feel for people who have this level of disease. I mean, obviously we're in a, in a worldwide pandemic right now and it maybe increases some empathy there as well. Yeah. That, that was, thank you. Yeah. I, I do wonder like how COVID will, will sneak and seep into literature. Of course it will. You know, I personally, you know, I'm lucky enough not to be affected directly by it now. Although my, I've had family members on the brink of death, my, my dad's sister. Um, but you know, I wouldn't want to take it head on, right? Nine eleven, right? It's like like it'll seep in subtly. I think the best stories will have it. It will be in pockets, right? It's going to be interesting how that works. It sounds cheesy too, but I just love the title too, "The Sheltering Sky." I don't. I've been looking it up. I don't think it's a biblical reference. I think it's just like a three word phrase he put together, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, and, and you know, there there uh, there are a, it, it's a it's a metaphor that guides the book because a lot of what he's doing in this book is using the desert and this sort of wide the wide open spaces of Africa as a metaphor for sort of the the desolation and the confusion of life feeling like you're sort of a stranger in the world or or not knowing what sort of which way is up and 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 he, when he actually gets to the part of the book where he talks about the sheltering sky it's really intense and very beautiful basically the the metaphor is that the sky 
both of the main characters are very afraid in the world in, in different ways. The one is existentialist and the other is basically superstitious. She believes that, you know, things are always about to go wrong. She doesn't want yeah. to make choices. And um, they, they, uh, the sky, they, they see it as protecting them from the, the nothingness beyond the sky. So they, they talk about the sky almost being like a, a, a blanket around the world, keeping it safe from the existential void, from the universe. And when, when, the, when, they, when the character dies in the book, the sky pulls back. It's, it's, it's like a, a, black, a black star makes its way through the sky and sort of he, he, he comes face to face with the nothingness. And, and when the, the, the female protagonist has a whole other adventure after the death, by the way, mm-hmm. really strange one where she gets in a sort of Arabic harem and a, sort of almost like prostitutes herself through, through Africa to find her way back to America. Um, she uh, has all of these beautiful lines about how the sky is, is sort of protecting her and how it's, it's the sheltering sky is sort of her last refuge, keeping her keep, like sort of trying to, to, to protect her from the nothingness in the world. It's, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating metaphor. I'm sure it was, it was inspired by uh, all of the, 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 the drugs that, that Paul Bowles was taking. It's a very sort of hallucinatory idea, but it's, it's beautifully done. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Yeah. I always get a little excited when like the title is used in the, in the prose of the novel, <laughs> if it's on page one or on page 410, I'm always, I always get a little, I always geek out a little bit. Um, so anything else you want to say about it? Uh, can I just give one final quote about sheltering sky and then we can decide if it's worth reading. So, so this is, this is the, this sort of pulls together the death and the sheltering sky. This is how, this is Port's point of view as he finally, finally, you know, gives in to the typhoid. It says the pain could not go on. He opened his eyes, shut his eyes, saw only the thin sky stretched across to protect him. Slowly the split would occur the sky draw back and he would see what he never had doubted lay behind advance upon him with the speed of a million winds. Wow. That's yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. It's like something um, Khalid, Khalid Gibran or something, you know? I'm yeah. But this has some, I think, you know, more heft. No, no offense to my Gibran fans out there. <laughs> um, all right. Alex Arlen should folks read Sheltering Sky Before They Die. Definitely. It is an incredible book, and it's not as long as some of the other books that will be explored in this podcast, but it's, it's an intense read, and it's, it's something that will stay with you. It's, it's sort of a glimpse into a different world uh, on ours. I, I couldn't recommend it enough. I agree. I'm in. A couple other points for me. One, it's a travel book, but you don't have to read it to travel when you're, you you can be in Mexico and just, it's just like good to have in your backpack, get a paper bag version of it. Right. Actually the hardbacks are hard to find. I've tried. Um, Just like you'll spill coffee on it, spill wine on it. It's just good to take with you. Uh, Two, I will fully admit I have not read any other Paul Bowles. He's like, a name I'm familiar with yeah. sheltering sky. It was a book I was, I had heard of, but, um, and I, I see dense books of his, but this is by far the book he's most famous for. And it's, it's wonderful. I usually read it before you die. I cannot say if it's his best. I haven't read it, but you know, if you're, I common sense often prevails. And I think if you want to get in the Paul balls, this is clearly the book to read. 
I agree. And, 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 and a great companion piece to this is the only novel written by Paul Bowles' wife, Jane Bowles, which is called Two Serious Ladies. And it's also an amazing, very, very unique book um, that, that I, I, I recommend as well. You re read them back to back and you really get a full glimpse of this incredible artistic couple. Yeah, I think and he, he has struggled with addiction with drugs and she's struggled with addiction with alcohol. And they have an interesting kind of dynamic there, the two of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, dur during the writing of this book, they were married, but she was traveling with a lover, a separate lover. They they were, I mean, they, they had a very open, artistic, strange relationship. And, uh, the you know, the book is very clearly based on on him and her. And it's it's just, a it's like, you know, F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald, this incredible, bizarre, but beautiful, romantic, artistic relationship, you know, of the 20th century. Cool, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on. Do you want to plug anything? Anything you're working, anything nerdy you're, exci you're excited about or where? Uh, anything you want to? <laughs> uh, oh, my literary plug is my, the next book I'm going to read is uh, Steps by Jerzy Kaczynski. And I've never read anything by him, but uh, sounds like uh, sounds like an interesting read. And, and I, I, I'm really excited about that one as well. I've, only, I've read that one a long time ago. I don't remember it very well. It's the only book of his that I read. It's, I remember being very, I was depressed at the time and it's very depressing. You can see the talent there. Um, I'm trying to work through satanic verses. I wanted to understand like the scandal, but you know, with the lockdown, I, I've been working. It's really, the prose is really rich and amazing. Like I love um, Midnight's Children. That's an all timer for me, but it's a little cute and I'm having trouble getting through it, but I, I'll, I'll try. Well, I, good luck with that. I, 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 you know, he's, he's a great writer. All right, my man. Good talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe. You too. Great to talk to you, Josh.